Are they connected? Premier Horgan. Hello. This is Van Collar. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, I am joined by a very special guest. In episode 83 with Fiona Forbes, I promised you that I would deliver him here, and the dude is here via the magic of Zoom. First elected as a BCNDP member of the Legislative Assembly in 2005, he has been the leader of the BCNDP since 2014. Representing the constituency of Langford, Juan de Fuca, he is hoping for your support to continue to be the 36th Premier of British Columbia. He is Premier John Horgan. Premier Horgan, how are you, sir? I'm good, Mo. Good to hear you. Thanks for having me on the show. It's my pleasure. I am pinching myself. I'm so honored that you're here. I appreciate your time. I have to get this out of the way, though. This is the big question on everyone's mind. When you call someone man or dude or buddy, <laughs> do you only do that when you're mad or do you also use those as terms of endearment? Uh, good question. Uh, sometimes terms of endearment, but this past weekend has not been the case. How would I put it that way? <laughs> yeah, no, I I, uh, I do tend to say, come on, man, a lot, but oftentimes in a, uh, to try and provoke a better outcome, but... Uh, but the dude just came out. I don't know. I, that, that one just slipped right out there. Well, that's going to make it a lot harder for me to gauge how this interview goes. So we'll, well see. Yeah, yeah, the big Lebowski is not here today, so we should be okay. <laughs> so funnily enough, as we're chatting, my weekly segment on CKNW is playing on rotation right now. And I actually kind of give you a hard time because, to your own admission, there was one question in the televised leaders debate on Tuesday that you actually walked back in the post-debate scrum. So I'm gonna ask you the same question again from the debate with the same time limit. Sure. How have you personally reckoned with your own privilege as a white political leader? Well, thanks for the question, Mo, and th the opportunity to uh, have a redo. I'll never fully understand, uh, as a person of privilege, a white person, a large six foot two, 250 pound white guy, what systemic racism means to people. Uh, I have the good fortune of being uh, in a caucus with young people of color like Ravi Kalon, Bowen Ma, Katrina Chan, and we have a diverse group of candidates coming forward. And I believe that the challenges that people of color face in British Columbia and in Canada and around the world need to be addressed, not just in a pitch during an election campaign, but each and every day. The opportunity to continue to have that discussion is, I think, something that's, that's daylighting this issue in, in privileged homes right across British Columbia. I've been speaking about white privilege, my role in that, and the, the actions that we need to take to address it uh, since the debate. So I'm very pleased to have the opportunity to do it again today. We need to focus on solutions and not just making a empathetic statements, though, as important as they are, actions are way more important. Reviving the Human Rights Commission was critically important to British Columbia. The Liberals did away with it. We brought it back. The UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples says quite clearly that white privilege has systemically crushed the ambitions and the hopes and dreams and the cultures of Indigenous peoples. As a white leader, I need to learn each and every day how I can make improvements in the inclusivity and the equality of peoples in British Columbia. I'm proud to have the opportunity to lead into the next mandate to make sure we can do even more actions to reduce systemic racism. Wow. 
That was pretty good. It was definitely better than the first time. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> but but it, listen, I, I'm quite seriously, now that we're, I'm off the clock, sure. uh, it, it, is, um, it is important. We had three white people on a stage asked an appropriate mm-hmm. question by Shachi, a woman of color. But it, it, it just, you know, the frustrating part for, for people of color, particularly young people of color, is that this is not something we should just do as a, okay, on your mark, get set, say something about our lives, mm. every minute of our lives, in, in a, a, a sound bite. This has to be about actions. It has to be about deeds. And I'm proud of the, the dynamic and diverse set of candidates that we brought forward in this election that reflect the diversity of British Columbia. I was pretty proud of the caucus we had at dissolution. Half of my colleagues were men, half of my colleagues were women, but now we have BIPOC candidates, uh, we have indigenous leaders, we have uh, 53% women. Uh, I believe that this is the most representative group of people ever to run for office in British Columbia, and this is just the beginning, it's not the end. We need to work each and every day on, on not just saying we don't like racism, but making sure that we have anti-racism policies and laws that make sure that equality and inclusion is the order of the day every day, not just during an election campaign. So on this podcast, BC Greens leader Sonia Firstenau made a case that a snap election actually favored privileged candidates. I completely understand that you are running a slate of diverse candidates. But did you see her point in terms of what she was talking about, where because of a rushed election, it hurt particularly her ability to be able to recruit diverse candidates? Well, I, I certainly can't speak for Sonia, but we have been in a minority parliament for three and a half years. And I believe it's the responsibility of political leaders and political parties to be ready uh, for elections whenever they may happen, uh, particularly mm-hmm. in a minority situation. Uh, and I, I, every day when I'm talking to people, I encourage them to participate in politics, maybe not necessarily as candidates, but get engaged in your community. And, and I would have expected the Green Caucus to have done that. Uh, Mr. Uh, Weaver uh, announced his departure from the leadership a, a year ago. Yeah. Uh, so the, the Green Party's had plenty of time. This isn't about Sonia. It's not about me. It's not about Andrew. It's about the, the infrastructure of our political apparatus across the country and across the mm-hmm. province particularly. Uh, we need to always be encouraging people to participate. And that's we have an equity mandate, as you may well know, within the NDP. We've been ridiculed by other political parties for having such a thing. But look at the results. Look at the mm-hmm. results. Dynamic, diverse, uh, inclusive. Uh, that's what I think British Columbia is. And I'm very proud of what we've been able to accomplish. Premier Horgan, a big theme on this podcast is housing. A few weeks ago, Selena Robinson and I extensively covered affordable housing. Now, your government has taken steps to crack down on speculation and tax evasion in real estate. But many folks, including your friend Andrew Weaver, say that the big problem is something called the Bear Trust loophole, which allows purchasers of real estate to avoid paying the BC property transfer tax, the foreign buyer's tax, and other federal income taxes. The BC Greens have promised to close the bear trust loophole and loopholes in the speculation tax. You had three and a half years. Why do these loopholes still exist? Firstly, the speculation and vacancy tax, uh, we brought that about let run rampant through not just the lower mainland, but in other uh, locations around 
Okanagan, Southern Vancouver Island, and so on. Uh, it has been transformative for the housing markets in those communities because we have some 11,000 condos that have been sitting idle as commodities that are now occupied by renters. So that's the good news. $115 million from people who don't live here to invest in building houses for people who want to live here, I would suggest is a great success us to make some amendments to the beneficial ownership registry. We've done that. You no longer can hide behind numbered companies or offshore trusts. We need to make sure that we are collecting this data. That's part and parcel of closing the loophole. Uh, the German report said that this would be the single most important measure that we can take to combat money laundering. So the beneficial ownership issue is uh, law is enforced that we're reducing tax evasion that way. But now that we've got the data being collected, we can combat this evasion and avoidance more effectively. And I apologize, you were cutting out a little bit there. Oh, sorry about that. That's okay. I just want to clarify. So if you were to form government, how long until these loopholes are actually closed? Well, what I was saying was that the beneficial ownership registry is how we do that. We're collecting the data. Uh, you know, the uh, German report said this is the best way to stop this. And mm. the beneficial ownership uh, laws will now be better able to be enforced because we can't hide behind numbered companies. The, the, the speculators can't hide behind numbered companies any longer. We'll be able to collect more taxes. We'll be able to get that, those uh, properties circulating in the economy. Great. I want to reference another CKW segment of mine. With their policy to suspend the PST for a year, the BC uh, Liberals are offering me 10 grand off a new Lincoln Continental. That is a $70,000 car, sir. Now, I don't qualify for the BC NDP direct deposit. So why should I vote for the BC NDP when the BC Liberals are giving me 10 grand off tax savings on a new car? Well, I got to tell you, Mo, I listened to your, your bit and it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, so, Thank you. Uh, I, I can't get the smile off my face, quite frankly, to get to the answer of the question. But uh, certainly, the recovery benefit—if you don't—if you're you're making over one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year—I guess you won't be able to address that. Are you a renter or are you a homeowner? I'm a homeowner. Oh, so you can't. The renter's rebate's not going to help you. The rent freeze isn't going to help you. Uh, how about contraception? How are you on your free contraception? Is that going to help you out? Uh, I'm single at the moment, so no, that doesn't help. Okay, me. fair enough. So you don't have kids that you can take on the public transit? No. No? Do you drive a car, Mo? I do, yes. Well, uh, have I got a deal for you? I will not be able to give you a massive tax break on your new Lincoln Continental, but we can reduce your car insurance by about 400 bucks because we brought in a, a care model to our ICBC programs and starting next year, as you renew your auto insurance, you're gonna see about a 20% reduction in your policy costs. And also if you're in a catastrophic accident, the healthcare that you will receive for your mm. lifetime will be way bigger than it would have been under the former model. So we're saving there. There's a whole host of other issues, of course, uh, in terms of driving down hydro rates. This is a really important issue for me. Uh, we have seen a decline in the, the cost of hydro bills based on what the Liberals had projected them to be. And uh, I, I just, I'm, I regret very much so you don't fit into any of these other categories. <laughs> normal guy from North Van, but... Uh, but if, I'm you, definitely not the normal guy from North Van, so fair are enough. You think, are you <laughs> contemplating upgrading your, your skills by going back to school? School. No. 
But okay. let's say I was. Let's say I was. You would get an access grant of up to $4,000 to meet your tuition and book costs. Uh, wow. if, you need to, if you need to upgrade your skills to get into a post-secondary institution, adult basic education, formerly charged by BC Liberals, is now free. Wow. Uh, your, your, your English language learning sounds good, so you won't be able to benefit from that. But as a, a community, a diverse community that's populated by many people who have uh, English as a second language, we're making sure that English language learning is of no cost so that people can realize their full potential. Uh, if you were crossing bridges, of course, you no longer have to pay tolls, Mo. Mm -hmm. uh, if you were paying MSP premiums, that's a saving for you. Uh, the list goes on. We have a, a, whole, a whole envelope full of savings for people in British Columbia, depending on what their circumstances are. And affordability is the number one issue. Childcare uh, costs have been coming down through our fee reduction plans. So you have, you're single, but you don't, I'm not going to ask about the status of any children, but if you were looking for childcare, it's dramatically less than it was in 2017. So the affordability mechanisms are out there for families that are looking for them, and, and that's going to continue to be our focus. Affordability is the number one issue, whether it be on housing, whether it be on uh, basic goods. Uh, PST reduction doesn't help you for your rent. It doesn't help you for your childcare. It doesn't help you for your food, your children's clothing. Mm -hmm. If you're buying a Lincoln, uh, I guess uh, Andrew's your man. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. I talked to Todd Stone uh, a week ago. I've talked to a few other BC Liberals, and they claim that you have not made life more affordable. They say that rents are up $2,000 a year compared to three years ago. They say that auto insurance and strata insurance is also up. So what do you say to that? Well, we cap, we cap the increase in rent, so I can't imagine how that's possible. The Liberals used to have 2% plus inflation and potentially any capital improvements for landlords to access through the residential tenancy branch. We pushed all of that back. We spent, uh, sent out the able uh, Spencer Chandra Herbert, who has the largest density of renters in his constituency of the West End, Vancouver West End, and he did an exhaustive review working with Landlord BC, working with tenants to make sure we could find a way that, that those who use resident or uh, property for rental purposes to create a little bit of income for themselves weren't penalized, but also mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure that renters had some space. Uh, we, of course, brought in a, a renter's uh, a renters benefit through the pandemic, the only province to do so. So I think it's hard for me to figure out where they're getting this number from, uh, but that doesn't surprise me at the end of the day. Are you saying they're lying? I wouldn't go that far because, <laughs> uh, you know, the, uh, the statistics are statistics, numbers are numbers, and I'm sure Todd would bring me a spreadsheet and walk me through it, but I don't know how that could be possible based on the uh, the. the Pro programs we put in place, the capping of the rent increases in uh, 2020 and 2019. Uh, I just don't know how they could have uh, reached that number. I think that's a bit of mythology on the Liberals' part, but I guess myths will get you through the day if nothing else is on your docket. Well, fair enough. Another thing that came up in the debate was that the BC NDP built zero hospitals. Is this true? Did you really not invest in hospitals with all the PST you've been collecting, Premier Horgan? <laughs> well, first of all, uh, I, I assume they're meaning in the 1990s. <laughs> I, think, I think that was their point because uh, we have been building hospitals since we came to government in 2017. And of course, uh, it, the, the BC Liberals like to say that they're not responsible for three years ago, but I'm supposed to be responsible for 30 years ago. So I, <laughs> I'll just put that to one side. But there was 
Uh, there were hospitals that were built in the 1990s, but more importantly, what are we doing today? Mm-hmm. And there are 14 projects underway in British Columbia over the past three years. And this is not, uh, and I'm so proud of the work that Adrian Dix has done. I mean, uh, he, he's getting uh, kudos and plaudits for his work on the pandemic with Dr. Henry, as he should, but he's been just extraordinary in bringing in things like urgent primary care centers so that we can bring uh, the continuum of care into communities that don't have attachments to family doctors. The BC Liberals, remember, had a GP for me. That was a nice bumper sticker, but produced zero results for people. The urgent primary care centers, 21 of them, 19 in place, two more to come this year and another 10 after that, are creating opportunities for people to connect to the healthcare system to get the care that they need. And the hospitals we're building are not in NDP constituencies. They're in Richmond, they're in Dawson Creek, uh, they're in, well, Surrey, it's in Surrey, Cloverdale, so not an NDP constituency. But the second hospital in Surrey is absolutely dis- indispensable to the fastest growing community in British Columbia. And mm-hmm. what did the BC Liberals do for the hospital in Surrey? They sold the land it was supposed to be built on because they wanted to fill a budget hole when they gave tax breaks to wealthy people. And for Andrew Wilkinson, who was the minister responsible for citizen services at the time they sold off land on Burke Mountain that was supposed to be for schools, they Hmm. sold the land in Surrey that was designated for the second hospital. For him to say, we're going to build the hospital too, is almost laughable if it wasn't so sad. So that second hospital in Surrey is going to be built by the... BCNDP or it's already under construction? What's the status well, It's there? not under construction, but it's underway. The business plan's being finalized and uh, we had a concept plan, not unlike the concept plan that we put in place in Richmond. Mm-hmm. Again, you could paper the walls in the Richmond hospital with the press releases from liberals over the past 20 years declaring that they were going to build one, but no work had been done. When mm-hmm. it comes to the second Surrey hospital, we put in place a concept plan in record time. The business plan is being finalized and as we did the business plan, we connected a cancer center to it. We have a 10-year cancer plan for British Columbia that will be putting in place uh, opportunities for treatment, opportunities for research in in, uh, various parts of the province. And the Surrey Hospital is awaiting the final uh, business plan. It's going to go. It'll start next year. Uh, Treasury Board has to approve the final look. And uh, again, Wilkinson sold the land, man, which I think was one of the dude, my, one of my dude moments on the uh, on the televised debate. So it, it uh, was. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So I saw BCNDP messaging that says one hospital was being built or is built on the North Shore where I live. Which one is that? Well, Lionsgate, uh, the, the acute care tower at Lionsgate Hospital. It's okay. under, the, the procurement's underway. Construction's expected to start uh, sometime in the middle of next year. I think cool. it's 108 beds, uh, new operating rooms. Uh, and that goes, of course, with the urgent primary care center that's already underway in your community. I want to talk about Site C. The Vancouver Sun's Vaughn Palmer pulled up a report from last week by Robert McCullough. Apparently, Mr. McCullough advised the NDP to cancel Site C in 2017. He says the ground is unstable because the surface under the structure is shale and that BC Hydro doesn't really know how to fix it. Now, there's a 2012 photo of you holding up a sign that reads, Site C sucks. I mean, if Mr. McCullough's findings are true, then I guess you were correct back then. So why haven't you canceled Site C? 
Site C wasn't a project we began. It was the BC Liberals that started it. Uh, and you'll remember that Christy Clark famously said she was going to get it past the point of no return. She didn't go to the Utilities Commission like every other project BC Hydro is required to go through. Uh, there was no uh, third-party review. There was no independence. It was a political decision, not surprisingly, by the former Premier to just go in and build the dam. So when we formed government in 2017, we looked at a four billion dollar hole and I had to decide whether that was something I was going to prepare to saddle on ratepayers and British Columbians or were we going to take a look at whether it was appropriate to complete it. Mr. McCullough and a handful of other experts uh, uh, were sworn in as cabinet ministers for a day so that they could give advice to cabinet. There were some on the pro side, some on the con side. We sent the whole package to the Utilities Commission and they came back with a, what I would characterize as an inconclusive report. Obviously, the, the power from Site C would be clean and green, uh, but the valley would be despoiled for all time. The mm -hmm. work had already begun. We looked at it. We made a very difficult decision to proceed. Fast forward to uh, the, 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 the events of discovering that there's instability in the right bank of the construction already underway. Uh, we put in place an independent, another independent individual. He actually used to work for the BC Liberals. He's a professional public uh, uh, public servant, a guy named Peter Milburn. He was a, he is an engineer. He was the deputy minister of transportation and he was later the deputy minister of finance. So he comes with, with a lot of experience and expertise. He's currently reviewing the situation. The report, the final report has not yet been completed. I expect, should I be reelected, uh, I'll be looking at that sometime into November, and then we'll make a decision on how to proceed. Uh, very disappointed that the, that the engineering work that was done by the BC Liberals was inadequate to discover uh, the shale issue that McCullough was talking about. But I, I'll have to see what Hydro's plan is before I condemn it. I think that's the mm -hmm. appropriate way to go. Is LNG development dependent on Site C? Not at all. Uh, the uh, decision to proceed with uh, Site C was made by the Liberals before there was any final, final investment decision on LNG. Hmm. Uh, they're not using electronic drives at LNG Canada. We fit the, that project within our climate action plan, our Clean BC plan that uh, Dr. Weaver and I and George Heyman uh, particularly worked on with the Green Caucus, the NDP government, uh, is a forward-looking, probably the most progressive climate action plan on the continent. Uh, both Andrew and I and others are very proud of that work. And uh, we believe that, I believe, Andrew would dispute this, and so would the Green Caucus. I'm not speaking for them. We made the decision to proceed with LNG Canada because it's the largest private sector investment in Canadian history, and we believe it fits within our climate plan. Andrew disputed that. He said that's a, a, a burden that would be, you know, if we didn't have that additional burden of GHGs, we'd be able to get to our targets perhaps faster. So we'll disagree on that. I believe the private sector investment is in the best interest of the province and that it will work within our climate plan. I want to ask you some political questions. You're 61. Weirdly enough, you share a birthday with my late mother. Oh. Yeah, she passed away 10 years ago, cancer. She would have been 60 this year. You're a cancer survivor, and that changes your life, man. And uh -huh. so there was a clip in a scrum from last year where you gave pause about your political future in the wake of Andrew Weaver's resignation. If the NDP form government again, how long do you intend to lead the party? 
Well, I, I paused because uh, Andrew's decision. I, I, I became quite fond of Andrew. We are, we are friends. Uh, it's funny that uh, from 2013 to 2017, we fought like cats and dogs. But when we got the opportunity <laughs> to work together, we found how much we had in common. Mm-hmm. So, so when, uh, so when he, uh, he told me he was going to step away, I did pause. Because uh, you're absolutely right. I am a cancer survivor. I am 61. But I am, I, I am proud of the work we're doing. I, I'm, I always get motivated by helping people. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that I'm very passionate about. And I want to do this as long as I can. Uh, as long as the people of Lankford, Wanda, Fuca continue to return me. And as long as the people of BC will have me, I'm going to keep going until, uh, until there's no more breath in me. That, that sounds like a longer, a longer response than you were looking for, Mo, but uh, that, that's how I feel right now. I'm, I'm focusing on the next eight days, of course, uh, but after that, I want, I'm looking forward to making life better for British Columbians and getting through this pandemic, which is the highest issue for all of us. It just sounds like you're going to be premier until they drag you out of there. Well, yeah, well, there's, that could be, uh, as I say, <laughs> as a 250-pound as a dude, it's going to take a couple of people to pull me out. I had a conversation with Jill Crop recently, yeah. and we talked about how a good leader grooms more leaders. Is there anyone within the last caucus, or maybe even someone outside of the caucus, who you can identify as a future premier of British Columbia? Well... For me, uh, I would prefer to not take that bait. Uh, I, I was asked by Dirk, uh, Dirk Meisner, the great CP reporter, uh, in his way, uh, when I was leader of the opposition, who my top five were. And I declined, and I declined, and I declined. He kept asking us, we're heading for the door. And, and in, his, in Dirk's way, he, he managed to get it out of me. And everyone else in the caucus was wearing an I'm number six button for the rest of the week. So uh, if I were thinking of who I would want to replace me, there's only one person in my mind, and that's Carol James. <laughs> Good choice. Good choice. I, I agree, man. I agree. She is... Uh, she is an extraordinary person, a dear, sweet friend of mine. Her compassion, her competence uh, has really been the foundation of our government, and I'm going to miss her dearly. Uh, but uh, as I said to uh, Vaughn Palmer on the, uh, the editorial board meeting with The Sun just a moment ago, Carol lives about a minute and a half from the legislature, and I know where she lives. So I, I, <laughs> if, if I need her counsel, I know where I can find her. But yeah, I'm not going to answer that one, Mo. Nice try, though. No, fair enough. Really quickly, what is the expiration date on telling the BC Liberals that they had 16 years or pointing to their record in the office? Are you going to be that BC Liberal leader that says in the 90s, the NDP did that? Like, is there going to be a role reversal or are you going to stop saying 16 years? Well, I think, well, I think for me, it's about choices. And, and where, where I was struck in the radio debate, uh, well, it's, it flowed from the, uh, the televised debate, is the BC Liberals made a choice in 2001 to give a 25% tax break to people, the, the, the wealthiest people in BC. And the consequence of that was the decimation of our long-term care facilities because they fired 10,000 people. Hmm. That is a choice that the Liberals made that had consequences not just at that time, but profound and tragic consequences when the pandemic struck. Mm -hmm. So I believe it's appropriate to remind voters of the choices that other political parties have made 
particularly when they have a relevance to right now. And uh, so I, I appreciate, uh, I, you know, I took great delight in watching uh, my uh, liberal opponents during the question period roll their eyes when we would say that. But I also sat in opposition for 12 interminable years l listening to stories about the 1990s that none of us had anything to do with, but they did it anyway. <laughs> Andrew Wilkinson sold the land, man. You can't back away from that. The Surrey Hospital is on your back. Uh, the land that was sold in Burke Mountain for schools that have not been built yet was BC Liberal Choices. And of course, the long-term care catastrophes. Uh, to have him yelling at me on the radio the other day, Mo, I tell you, when he's going, you've been there for three years, you should have fixed it. This is the doctor. I don't know if you knew this. Andrew Wilkinson was a doctor. But, but, but for him to say that, for him to do that, I think... Puts, is, is disrespectful to British Columbians. I believe you need to own up all the time, be accountable all the time. And the way they should inoculate against calls for 16 years is to say, you're right, we made mistakes. If you haven't read George Abbott's book, if you haven't had George Abbott on your show, I would recommend you do that. George was a cabinet minister for a dozen years, a mm -hmm. solid guy. I always got along well with George. He wrote a book about the ideological choices that the Campbell administration made with Deputy Minister Wilkinson at his side and the consequences to social policies for, for a decade. And if you haven't read it, you should. And, I, you know, have him on. George, George is a, a funny guy. I bet he'd be a great show, way better than me. Duly noted. No, I don't know. You're a pretty great guest. Premier Horgan, as we wrap up here, can you give me your elevator pitch for why British Columbians should vote for you vote for the NDP, and where they should go to support you? Well, we've got eight more days uh, till the election is over. Advanced it's going to be voting. like five when this airs. Sorry to okay. interrupt you. Okay. There's five more, <laughs> there's five more days uh, till the election. Advanced voting is underway right now. I encourage people to go back and, and, and uh, look at the choices that are available to them. I believe that, uh, you know, at the start of the year, no one anticipated that we would be in a pandemic. It's turned our lives upside down. But listening and taking the advice of Dr. Henry, we've got to a place where British Columbia is the envy of Canada because of the hard work of British Columbians. And I believe this election is about where British Columbians want to go and who they want to lead them. I want to focus on making sure we're investing in childcare, education, healthcare, seniors care, and building back our economy to include everybody. If you want to buy a new continental, I would suggest that the people you want to vote for are the BC Liberals. <laughs> Giving tax breaks to the wealthy and the well-connected will not help us through this pandemic. It will help some, but it won't help all of us. I believe New Democrats have the best policies to make sure we get through this healthy, safe, and secure. We have the continent-leading climate action plan, and we're focused on an inclusive package of uh, reforms to make sure that systemic racism is a thing of the past. The UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples says that everyone, first peoples, are the foundation of any economic growth going forward. And I think that we have the best chance of forming a government that will represent and reflect the diversity and the values of British Columbians. On October 24th, vote for us. I love that. I love that you took a jab at me, but you didn't accuse me of hiding under the bed. So Not my feelings all. aren't that hurt. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I, I, this, I've, I've really enjoyed this, Mo. I, I, uh, I've become a big fan of yours, not just because of the, uh, the good work of not editorializing on what became, of course, a defining moment 
uh, during this campaign. Uh, I think that uh, I am going to be a big fan of yours going forward. I like engaging with people who have a sense of humor and a passion for good public policy. So thanks for allowing me on your show. I look forward to doing it again. Premier Horgan, before, before I let you go, though, and I, I appreciate all those kind words, I have a message for you. I would get a Pakistani tongue lashing if I didn't do this. This comes from my dad, most senior. My dad says he has never been so impressed with a government as much as he is impressed with this past provincial government. He told me to tell you it feels good to have a government actually working for the people. And for the first time in his life, he's going to cast a ballot for the BCNDP. And by the way, this is a man who is very cynical, but he wanted me to sincerely, on his behalf alone, thank you. And that goes to Selena Robinson, Bowen Ma, Ravi Kalon, Carol James, Adrian Dix, David Eby, your entire squad at the BCNDP. That is from Mo Senior. Well, you, you thank your dad so much for that. That, that, that really means a lot. It's, uh, I believe, I've said that BC is filled with new Democrats. They just don't know it yet. And I think if we talk about values, we're going to unite as a province and we're going to get through this pandemic together stronger than we came into it. Premier Horgan, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy, but it was a big honor for me. Thank you. My pleasure, Mo. Take care, man. People, did that just happen? Well, I promised you it would, and it did. He is the man. He is running to continue to be your 36th Premier of British Columbia. He is Premier John Horgan. And I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace.